what would you do if you thought one of your siblings was possessed? And then we meet a group of convicts who have broken out of a penal colony in Tasmania and are trying to make their way to freedom. They're on the run, they're running out of food, and it's an interactive adventure today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. Hope you guys are having a great day too. I hope you guys, the weekend's coming up. Hope you guys got some cool stuff coming. Thanksgiving's coming up pretty soon too. And you know, normally I do a Thanksgiving special. Huh, I don't even think about that. Am I doing a Thanksgiving special this year? Maybe. You like that? You like that commitment to the show? But you know who's always committed to the show is one of our newest Patreons coming into Dead Rabbit Command right now. Give it up. For 580 VDC, everyone give a big round of applause. Three numbers, three letters, that's all you need. 580 VDC, thank you so much for supporting the show. You're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the Patreon, I totally understand. Just help spread the word about the show. Really, 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 really helps out a lot. I always love seeing you guys talk about the show online, and I'm seeing it more and more often, so thank you so much for that. 580, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the hair hang glider. Let's go ahead and leave behind Dead Rabbit Command. We're going to take a nice leisurely journey all the way out to Grandma's house. <sighs> Fly in the breeze all the way out. And there we're going to meet a five-year-old boy standing in his grandma's house. We're looking in through the windows. We're all being super creepy. We're hiding in the bushes. And this five-year-old boy is walking around his grandma's house. And the rest of the family is in the kitchen, kind of talking. And this little boy is walking through the house. And he's looking at all of these pictures of the family. And this little boy, did we give him a name yet? We're going to call him Timothy, is walking through this house. And he's looking at all of these photos, and he says there had to have been like 30 or 40 pictures, honestly, just tons. Now, at that point, your grandma is less of a loving matriarch, or <laughs> kind of like a creepy stalker. They're like, that's weird, Grandma, would you take this picture? It's from outside in the bushes. There's a bunch of leaves in front of the camera, and it's this little boy, like, trying to sleep. Anyways, so we may have stumbled across another conspiracy theory here, but Timothy's walking through this house, and he's looking at all these pictures, and when he's walking down the hallway... He sees a photograph of his older brother, but in this photograph, he was much younger, even younger than Timothy was. And he's looking at this photo of his brother, and his brother's just standing there, and he sees something begin to move in the photograph. A tall, blackish figure, a shadow man, begins to walk across the picture. This figure is just casually moving across the background of this picture. The other people in it are frozen in time. But this shadow man is moving. And Timothy's watching this and he says, The shadow man gets to where my brother is and then sits down. Timothy freaks out. He has no way to really comprehend what he just saw. It doesn't make sense. It goes against anything you would think of a photo could do. <laughs> Move, right? That's one thing photos famously are. Not moving. And he begins running through the house, screaming at the top of his lungs. And when he gets to the kitchen, everyone's like, dude, what is the matter? Why? But he was so terrified. He was sobbing. He actually couldn't even explain what he saw. 
They're trying to get him to calm down, and he can't. He just saw something that his little brain could not comprehend. Even an adult would have a hard time dealing with that. I think as an adult, you would look around and assume, was that a reflection of something? behind <laughs> There's a giant shadow man behind you. You're like, whoo, that was close. I thought you were only in the picture. And then once you kind of took it in, you would probably just like back away from the photo. You might also go screaming down the hallway. But to a kid, they can't comprehend it. They see this thing. And at a certain point, they realize, I can't get the words out to describe this. And even if I could, no one is going to believe me. So this was posted online by someone known as Lil Corn and Beans. And this is basically the first time, apparently, they'll feel, they feel comfortable telling this story. is through an anonymous account. right? No one's going to be able to trace it back to this person who saw a shadow man walk through a photograph. It's an interesting story, and it opens up a, a whole lot of pathways to explore. My thing would be, if the Shadow Man was in the photo, does that, like I said in the intro, does that mean that the Shadow Man is next to his brother in real life? Like, was the Shadow Man trapped in the photo and just walking by and going like, oh, my legs are so tired, I've been walking through eternity through this background? Or did it symbolize that the Shadow Man is... Behind the brother in real life. Maybe even possessing the brother. Maybe this photo showed the truth. Is the photo haunted? Is the brother haunted? Is the house haunted? And then we have to look at... Is this just a... We've been covering stories recently about children. What was the one we did not too long ago? It was about the young kids seeing something weird. That's basically the entire premise of this podcast. I don't remember what it was. I think it was last week. But I came across another story just recently about a young girl. I think this story took place in Argentina. I'll put it in the show notes. This young girl is over at her friend's house, and her friend's grandpa's there, and he's going to take the dogs for a walk. And the girl goes, oh, can I go with you? And it's nighttime, and the grandpa goes, yeah, sure, you can go with me. And the young girl runs to the door and opens it, and the moon is, like, sitting three feet from the door. She said it was small. It was obviously much smaller than the moon really is, but she goes, I opened the door, and I looked, and there was the moon about three to six feet away from the front door, just sitting there. And I turned back to the grandpa and I said, the moon's here, I really want, can I go out and play? And the grandpa just goes, no, I don't think we're going to go out tonight. And he walked and he shut the door. So is that a, is that a kid misremembering something? Or is that a paranormal event like the photo that actually happened? Do these things happen more often, but kids see them and they can't process them? They don't really know how to communicate them. Because if an adult sire, if an adult opened their door and they saw a moon, that is a reality-breaking thing. Because we know that's impossible. But I remember a long time ago, I was watching this documentary about martial arts. I think it was uh, The Art of Bushido or something like that, or Bushido, The Art of Killing. I think that was the documentary. And the person said, martial arts should be taught to children because children still believe in magic. They still believe that anything's possible. And martial arts is making the impossible possible. And I'm paraphrasing, obviously. He said it more eloquently. But as an adult, we know you can't like shoot fireballs out of your hands. But a child, they just think that's maybe three or four lessons away. And they're putting so much focus into it. I know that I can't do a spinning jump kick and like knock out five goons. But a kid thinks they can, right? And so they, have, they approach martial arts differently. And, and so is it something like that? Like... 
you, as a child, you believe magic is more real. You believe that all this stuff is literally just maybe a day or two away. Your life may become some fantastical adventure. You open the door, you see a moon. That's just part of the magic of being a child. Is that what this is? And that's why these children are seeing things like this? Do more people have these experiences as kids, but then when they grow up, they go, oh, that was impossible, I must have misremembered it. I remember very, very clearly... At one point, walking into my backyard when we lived in Alameda, I walked into my backyard and I looked up, and there was a 747 flying so low, if I had a basketball, I could have hit it. And that's impossible. I, I, when I would have been like 10, 11 years old, maybe like 11, 12 when I saw that. That's impossible. I mean, if the plane was that low, I obviously would have... You never would have heard from me. The podcast never would have been made. I would have been swept up into a jet engine. But I clearly remember that. Now, as an adult, I know it's impossible. I, I know it's impossible, but what did I see? So who knows? It's very, very interesting, but it could be a childhood memory thing. It could be that children are more open to the paranormal, which that isn't a obscure belief. People are, that's pretty fairly well known in the paranormal world. But like this, was this kid actually seeing a shadow man next to the photograph? And does that mean in real life, his brother has a shadow man next to him? Just bringing it back to that. That's the creepy part. If the photograph had moved in some weird way and they seemed to interact with each other for a moment, that would be weird and definitely notable. But the fact that an alien entity, something not in the photograph, walked into the photograph and sat down next to his brother, what does that mean? Truly a terrifying story. And one that may be more common, just we've seen stuff like that when we were kids and when we grew up, we go, that's impossible. We kind of lock that away. 580 VDC. I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys of the Carpenter Copter. We are leaving behind Grandma's house. We got all the snickerdoodles we can carry, all of Grandma's great food. We are leaving behind Grandma's house. We are headed all the way out to Australia. So I want you guys to pick a number between 1 and 10. And you guys got to remember that number because that will be your fate during this next story. And as you're picking that number, as we're flying out there, I do want to do a special shout out for this. There's a YouTube channel called Corridor Crew. I watch them all the time. It's a bunch of special effects artists. And a lot of times they do like good and bad CGI from X type of movies or good and bad CGI from, you know, and because because they're special effects artists, they can kind of analyze stuff and they do stuff with stuntmen and, and fight choreography. It's a really cool channel. What they've started doing recently, though, has been really cool. I talked about them a while back. They did one where they debunked, or, you know, attempted to, you know, it's, your mileage may vary, but they debunked the Pentagon UFO videos. Like, all that stuff that was coming out about the Tic Tac, they were showing how that could be done. What visual tricks, or what CGI, or whatever, and that was really cool. They recently did one, um, just before Halloween, ghost videos. They watched a bunch of ghost videos on YouTube and they were trying to determine, is this fake? Is this real? And what I really like about, there's different types of debunking. There's the debunking that people go, that's not real. Shadow men in pictures, that's not real. That's not fun to me. It's super boring. The cool thing about Corridor Crew is because they're watching these videos, there's one where a ghost flies by a car. And they're looking at it and they go, well, you know, what's weird is that if I had to build that effect, I wouldn't have done this. I wanted to think about doing this. So it is weird. Maybe someone was smoking and the smoke came by and they were watching this video over and over again and they figured it out what it was. And to the homeowner, they probably never even thought this. 
where they're kind of working it out and they go, I bet you anything there is a balcony above the camera and someone stepped down on it or someone dropped something hard and dust fell through the slates the slates of the balcony and the dust came down in front of the camera. And once they explained that and they reshowed the video, that's exactly what it looks like. And they go, yeah, look, at there's more dust. Someone walked out there. So it wasn't faked to get attention, but they were able to break it down. That's the type of debunking I like, because it's easy for them to just go, ghosts don't exist, have, come back next week. And they also had an interesting point that I, I don't think I'd thought of. If I had really sat down, maybe I would have come up with it. But they go, it's weird that when ghosts move things, like open drawers or doors, they do it with the exact same physics as if you had a fishing line tied to something. And I go, you're right. Like, whenever you see a stool move, a ghost would pick up a stool like a human would, because they were formerly human. Would they simply grab one of the legs at the very bottom and pull it? Would they grab it? Would they pinch their fingers around it and yank it a bit? Or if you had to move a stool, how would you do it? Now, do I think it disproves all ghosts? Absolutely not. Do I think it disproves all the even the videos that they looked at? Absolutely not. There may be one or two in there that's so, but I love that type of debunking, and I think it's really, really cool. So you guys should check out those videos as well. They'll be in the show notes. 580 VDC is taking us to Tasmania. Tasmania is part of Australia. We're specifically headed to the Macquarie Harbor Penal Station. It's September 20th, 1822. So this is still when you were going to Australia. It wasn't for a vacation. You were headed to this area because you were being transported for crimes you committed in the British Empire. September 20th, 1822. You picked a number between 1 and 10. Remember that number. We're at the McCary Harbor Penal Station. This is a prison island within prison territory. Like, the entire place is basically the real-life No Escape starring Ray Liotta. But even though there was no escape, you still tried. The human spirit persevered. I'd rather die in the wilderness than spend another day in this penal colony. So on September 20th... had alarms back then. I think they just pulled on a cow's tail really loud and that alerted the guards. Escape! 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 Nine dudes all team up to break out of this penal colony. They weren't all friends. Some of them were just acquaintances as we will learn very quickly. They weren't all friends. But when you heard that there was a possible chance of getting out of this madness, you took it. Robert Greenhill quickly appointed himself leader of this band of fugitives. And what made him the leader wasn't his eloquence or charisma. He may have had those things. We don't know. History has not recorded that. They did record that he was the only one with an axe. So if you're escaping prison with a bunch of prisoners, yes, the guy who's in charge is the guy with the axe. And they make their way out of prison, and they're now wandering the wilderness of Tasmania, trying to find civilization. It's out there somewhere. They just got to find it. They don't have a map. They don't know where they're going. They do have an axe, though. And that will come in quite handy. Now, Robert Greenhill did have an ally. He was the only person who really started this off with someone watching his back. And that was Matthews Travers. They were friends in the joint. I actually think they were friends even before they both got sent here. But they were on the move for 15 days. And the authorities are looking for him. It wasn't just like, oh, darn it, they got away. Ah, oh, they'll get arrested by someone else. They're being hunted. 
And they're on the move for 15 days in the Australian wilderness. They have an axe, but no food. Right? It's not magical, right? It's not Minecraft. You just can't walk up and axe a chicken. They probably would have if there were chickens, but there's nothing at all for them. For 15 days, these nine men marched through the wilderness with nothing to eat. So it's time to draw lots. This is called the custom of the sea. And apparently it also works on land. What it is, is you draw lots. So you have all these sticks of different sizes and whoever gets the shortest stick gets eaten. You're completely out of food. You need something to eat. So they take a bundle of nine sticks. Could you imagine the stress of this, right? You're, you're already starving. It's already been days since you ate. So you're not already in the best mood. I'm a little hangry. Because you're like ribcages showing. You're like, you're more than a little hangry. You're about to die. There's nine sticks being held in a hand. And one of them means you're not only going to get killed, but you're going to get eaten. Reaching into that bundle of sticks. Thomas Boddenham pulls one out. Looks at it. If you picked the number two, you just have a second to glance at that stick. And you realize you've drawn the short straw. It's just a minute. You comprehend that. You are now about to be murdered and then devoured. You're going to be set upon by your fellow convicts. And be digested. And before you can really comprehend that, Robert Greenhill splits the back of your skull open with an axe. And the men start a fire to cook your meat. Yeah, this... this I guess I kind of came out of nowhere. Did I mention that there's any sort of cannibalism in the intro? You're like, ah, this is horrible. You just, you just sat down with a big rotisserie chicken. You're like, yummy, yummy, yummy. Eating lunch and listening to Dead Rabbit Radio is my favorite thing. <laughs> You're getting meat right off the bone. Mm, mm, mm. This is delicious. Now, there were three people who... There's nine people in total. One of them is currently being spit-roasted. And that is not... That is not the sport. That is not the porn version. That is the original version of spit-roasting. They're turning him over with a stick. I don't think they had an apple in his mouth. I don't think they were cooking him. Like, they just slaughtered a hog. They're probably just cooking, like, thighs and arms and things like that. One rump roast, please. You're all have a slow cooker. Everyone's all eating. They're all starving. You're like, no, I'd rather have eight hours. I want this meat to get nice and juicy. Put throwing carrots in it. Three dudes saw this and they're like, we're not going. Okay, we're not going to be part of this, right? We're super, super hungry, but we're not going to eat this guy. And here's the thing: we're 15 days into this. We may not find civilization for quite a long time. Who's to say we're not next? So three dudes bounce. Alexander Dalton, William Kennerly, and Edward Brown run away. So if you picked four, five, or six, you don't even get to you don't even get to taste sweet, sweet human flesh. You run away, you cowards! What? You're not that you were a foodie. I thought you loved new experiences. Ah, you guys are running into the bushes. So if you picked four, five, or six, you're safe. However, I will say this. If you pick four, you die of exhaustion. The other two guys eventually get rearrested. 
So you can take that. This was a choose your own adventure. You could take that as a win, right? You can be like, well, I didn't get to eat delicious convict, but I also didn't get cooked, and you get rearrested. And that is actually the that is actually the best ending you could possibly get if you picked five or six, because it's all downhill from here. So now we have Robert Greenhill and his buddy Matthew Travers, and two more, John Mather and Alexander Pierce. Oh man, that was so delicious. Oh, Tommy. Tommy, I'll always remember how delicious you were. They're still are eating eating the meat right off the bone. Nom, nom, nom. The guy's like juggling the guy's juggling his testicles. He's wearing the penis like a fake nose. He's like, look at me, I'm a big old clown. Now, I don't know. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I realized something reading this story. <laughs> I don't think that happened. But I realized something reading this story. Being killed, knowing you're about to be eaten, right? If you're, if I was killed and then afterwards someone ate me, I probably wouldn't care because I'm dead. But if I knew before I died I'm going to get eaten, that would kind of concern me a bit, right? That would make me be like, oh, man, I'm going to become poop. But I'll tell you this right now. The only thing worse than being killed and eaten is being killed and eaten the second the, be the second guy to have that happen to you. Because the first guy, it's an abstract thought. We've never really put much thought into being killed and eaten by another human. Maybe so often you imagine someone being like, eating your eyeballs and be like, mm, I'm sorry, this episode's super disgusting. But, you know, it's like a gusher. Someone's eating your eyeballs like gushers and maybe they're like, uh, they have your legs like stilts. They're like walking on your legs. Look at me, ma. Look how tall I am. And everyone's laughing. Because the, you don't really think about that stuff, right? A normal human never should. But if you're the second guy, so you have now killed Tommy and you've eaten him. And you're sitting there with a belly full of your fellow human. And you're sitting there and you're thinking, oh my god. If I die, they're going to be doing all these hijinks with my body. Like, when they're eating you, when you're eating someone else, you're just eating meat off of a bone. But imagine them doing that to you. You're like, no, I really like my legs attached to me. You know what I mean? You had no context. When you have to go to bathroom later that night, you're pooping out Tommy. And now you're realizing, oh my god, when I die, someone's going to poop me out too. So the only thing worse than <laughs> to my remaining listeners, who are probably completely aroused by this story now, everyone's quit the podcast except for my two listeners who are really into vor. <laughs> so to you freaks out there, after a certain point, I would I would rather die first and be eaten first than die second and be eaten because I'd be like because they're gonna play jump rope with my intestines and stuff like that. And I'm assuming again in most survival situations they don't play with your corpse, but they might. And being turned into poop, you turning someone into poop, you know that's gonna happen to you. It's not an abstract thing. So remember, Greenhill and Travers are friends, and there's only two other dudes. Now, are you going to draw lots? Probably not. It's two on two. Greenhill and Travers are not going to say, hey, let's draw lots. We'll give an equal. Mather and Pierce know one of them are on the chopping block. But they still got a lot of flesh of Tommy. They're able. They're, they're turning into beef jerky. They're like, nom, nom, nom. they're still eating some of Tommy. They have this meat on the go, but that meat is also running low, and there is no safety in sight. Pierce and Mather know that one of them is next. And John Mather realizes 
that the power dynamic has changed. If you picked number one, you realize at the very last second that it wasn't two on two. It was three against one. If you pick number one, Alexander Pierce went behind your back because your back looked so delicious and formed an alliance with Travers and Greenhill. Mather feels that axe chop into his body, hacking away at him. His last thoughts are of him turning into poop. I don't actually know. He might have been thinking of his mom or his long-lost wife, but also poop. Because he just ate a guy a couple days ago, and now that same thing is going to happen to him. The very last thing, he's like, oh man, I really shouldn't have juggled that guy's testicles and worn his penis like a fake nose. If you pick number one, you are roasted over the fire that night. Mm. John is tastier than Tommy. John really worked out. John really worked out his glutes. Eating you up. And later that night, under a sea of stars, all three of the men start pooping you out. I don't know why I'm so obsessed. That would be so horrifying. I mean, I know we get turned into poop anyways. Like, I get eaten by worms, and then I turn into worm poop. But that's totally different. Because I think about all the times that I've pooped, and there's never been people. I've never eaten a person. But what if it was? Right? That would that would suck. Right? I'd be like, Johnny, no, you were my best friend. Why did I eat you? But I have to go to the bathroom. I probably shouldn't have eaten you and taken all that X-Lax. It's making it even worse. <laughs> people are not... <laughs> I apologize. Even the Vore people have left at this point. Now, Alexander Pierce knows that, sure, he was able to last to the next round, but Travers and Greenhill are ride or die. <laughs> They're ride or eat. They're going to eat Pierce at some point. And but here here's the th- here's the thing they can't kill him right now because are they going to be able to preserve all that meat so they're going to keep going as far as they can and they might not have to eat him right if they're able to find civilization that would be ideal they don't want to eat this dude but he can stay alive until they run out of food and then they'll kill him because they'll need fresh food but what happens before any of that if you pick number three you were Matthew Travers and you get bit by a snake. <laughs> Ah, the fangs go deep inside your flesh. Ah, poison injecting into your skin. I have to poop. I have to poop. You say you run into the bushes. They're like, no, don't poop. You still need to digest some more of Johnny. At this point, Alexander Pierce realizes that the game board is set. Travers is not going to be able to make it. Greenhill, though, because this is his buddy says we're not leaving him behind and they carry him or more specifically Greenhill carries him for five days hoping to find civilization get his buddy some treatment but by the fifth day they knew that they couldn't save him so they kill him and they eat him I'm assuming they didn't eat where the snake bite was they ate around that part and now it's one on one well it's one on one with an axe, because Greenhill never gave up possession of that axe. But they have no alliances now. They're walking through the wilderness together. Maybe they'll get somewhere. Maybe they won't have to eat each other. That's the goal. It's to get free. This isn't this wasn't a cannibal expedition. You have to sleep, but can you with the person next to you wanting to kill you? 
You run out of food again. You're weak. You're moving through the wilderness. You're starving. You can't sleep. You can't think. You're running out of energy. If you pick number seven, you're Robert Greenhill. If you pick number nine, you're Alexander Pierce. And at one point during this cat and mouse game, which takes over the course of days, Alexander Pierce gets that axe and splits Robert Greenhill's head wide open. If you picked number seven, you're laying on the ground, uh, uh, gasping for air. And Alexander Pierce is standing over you with that axe, and he goes, I'm going to eat you. He couldn't think of anything clever to say. I could have had a hundred different, I don't know what, bone appetite. He maybe said that. Um, maybe, he said, maybe he said, you know what's happening to you, bro? I'm going to eat you, and I'm going to poop you out. And Robert Greenhill's like, and dies. And Alexander Pierce goes to work. I mean, think about it. All these, all these other bodies he had to share. Now he gets 100 and what? 60, 180 pounds of just meat. Just human flesh for Alexander Pierce. But, you know, he doesn't want to be eating this stuff. This is a survival thing. But he does it. He's, he's making skewers. He has a little barbecue going on. He's eating this meat. He's preserving this meat as best as he can. And he continues through the wilderness. And then... He sees some sheep. And he knows now. Civilization is nearby. There must be a farm nearby if he's seeing these sheep. And not only does he stumble across this sheep ranch in the middle of nowhere. He knows the guy who runs the sheep ranch. This dude is also a criminal. Who runs a sheep rustling scheme. They're stealing sheep. So Alexander Pierce comes out of the wilderness. Full belly. He actually weighs more than when he broke out of jail. How'd you escape? Oh, it's just me. I just ran away and I survived. He becomes part of the sheep rustling scheme and then they get arrested and then he gets rearrested for a total of 113 days. All of that stuff happened in 113 days. They broke out of prison to the time he got rearrested as being a sheep rustler. Now, when his friend met him, he's probably just like, yeah, I just broke out of jail. It was just me. You know how awesome I am. But authorities know for sure there was a lot more people who escaped. At this point, they already arrested Kennerly and Brown. Remember, they came out of the wilderness. They got rearrested, and they said, well, Dalton passed out, died of exhaustion. And the reason why we left is because those other dudes <laughs> killed a guy and were about to eat him. So when Alexander Pierce gets rearrested, they go, hey, we know that this guy was murdered, and you guys planned on eating him. Did you guys do that? And Alexander Pierce is like, yeah, yeah, we ate him. And he goes, okay, well, where's everyone else at? And he goes, well, <laughs> we ate them too. Everyone got eaten but me. And he admitted to it, but the authorities didn't believe him. They thought he was covering for his buddies. They actually didn't believe him. They thought they were still out there somewhere in the bush, so they continued looking for him. He's like, guys, listen, if you direct me to a toilet, trust me, you will see You will see the remains of these people come out of my butthole. I don't, I don't know why that would be evidence and not like an eyeball would come out and wink. They're like, Robert Greenhill's eye. So Alexander Pierce is locked back in prison, but he's not being charged with this stuff right now because as far as they know, these guys are still alive. Like, sure, they have witnesses that they killed this one guy to eat him, but he didn't do it. Alexander Pierce didn't do it. Remember, Robert Greenhill clubbed him with the axe. And while Alexander Pierce is back in this prison that he escaped from, he comes across an inmate, a young man known as Thomas Cox. If you pick number 10, you're good old Thomas Cox, who 
decides to team up with Alexander Pierce for a prison escape. Yeah, man, I totally want to blow this joint. This place sucks. Well, I did escape from it once, young man, and with your help, we can escape again. And they do. They break out of this prison colony once again. But this time, they're only on the run for 10 days before they're re-caught. And when Alexander Pierce is caught, he's alone. They go, what happened to Thomas Cox? And he goes, well, we got to the river, and he couldn't swim. And I realized he was a liability, so I killed him. But when they were searching him, when they were searching Alexander Pierce, he had only been gone for 10 days. They found him in possession of meat torn from Thomas Cox's body. Just pockets full of Tommy. And he had food on him as well. He had murdered Thomas and was eating him, even though they weren't starving, even though they still had provisions. He is quickly charged with murder and cannibalism. He was sentenced to be executed for his crimes. And on July 19th, 1824, Alexander Pierce is headed towards the gallows. His last words before that noose was slipped over his neck. His last words. Man's flesh is delicious. It tastes far better than fish or pork. Really, really creepy story. It's funny when I was reading it, the initial and I, I this is really a, this is actually a really popular story, like a true crime story in Australia, but I hadn't heard it before. And it's creepy because when you're reading it, you're like, oh, this is just kind of like a group of men pushed to the limits. They're slowly starving. What would you do? Would you rather be the pooper or the poopy? But then the story, the guy's a monster at the end. Like, I can understand you're in that survival situation, but then he becomes a monster. He didn't need to kill that kid, but he wanted to taste that human flesh again. He wanted to taste that meat so badly, he, bro he broke out of prison just to eat that guy. <laughs> I, get it. I do like Chipotle, but I won't even drive an hour to get it. He broke out of prison and within a matter of days... That was the reason why he broke out, because he wanted to eat that guy. Insane story. And you have to wonder, was he always a monster? Or was he just a low-level criminal, a thief, a scoundrel, who one day ate human flesh and became a creature? I mean, that's the origin story of the Wendigo. As you devour human flesh, you become a monster. He became so addicted to the taste of human meat. His last words were about how delicious it was. His last words were a Yelp review for human meat. And was it the taste? Was it the texture? Or was it the power he derived from digesting another human? Or all of it combined? Truly a terrifying story and a true story about a man who became a flesh-eating monster. But in his view, he's basically saying, don't knock it till you try it. 
And that's the scary thought. What if the most powerful drug in the world isn't heroin or fentanyl, but human flesh? You just can't stop at one. Gotta eat them all. I'm loving it. Whichever catchphrase you want to use. What if human flesh is the greatest delicacy that you could possibly imagine? Now, I don't think that's true. I've never eaten it, but I don't think that's true. But to Alexander Pierce, the taste of human meat was so intoxicating. He sacrificed his life for just one more meal. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be your email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. TikTok is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys.